In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. have with us tonight Nick and Cami Swingle. They are the filmographers, videographers of Urban Lines. You may have seen this movie on the Fly Fishing Film Tour. So finally get a chance to sit down with them. And we're going to say that this podcast is brought to you by A, Paps Blue Ribbon, and B, Sante, which is a pear cognac. Let's have a little... That's good. So um, you guys want to introduce yourselves and we'll do this little podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Cammy. This is our podcast. <laughs> I'm going to hold the microphone. All right. So let's start off talking about uh, the inspiration. Where did the idea come from to do the podcast? And if you want to see if your voices are coming out, the bigger the bars right there, it means it's it's coming through quite nicely. All right. So inspiration and uh, where did it all start from? The inspiration was really out of frustration. I think Cammie and I love, um, we love going to Colorado where we have some family. We love going down to Florida and some other places to fish. And, um, I don't think we realized what a great fishery there was so close to where we lived. And so this film was really about making do with what you have. And, uh, here in DC, we're, we're really fortunate to have the Potomac river. That's, that's it. Cammie's opening the PBR for me. I'm holding the microphone. So she's opening it for me. Great sound. 
All right, so um, so we're we're in Colorado and we're in Florida. You guys go just to get a little, know a little bit more about you. Um, we go to Durango every year, and then we go down to the Keys. You ever been to the rodeo in Durango? <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, I once saw a man go to the restroom. He was at a urinal with a nacho, fully covered with cheese, and he had more jalapenos on it than he did chips. And I, after that, I knew by watching the rodeo that I wasn't a real man, but when I went to the restroom and I saw that guy with his jalapeno nachos, I knew for sure that's what it means to be a man. So you fished out west, you fished down south. Um, are, you, are you guys local to D.C.? What What brought you here if you're not local? And how did you get into sort of fishing this area and get to know the local waters? Um, I moved here about nine years ago after college. I got a job on the Hill um, working for a senator from Oklahoma. And I started fishing when I started dating Nick. I think it was a prerequisite. It was. It was part of our prenup. I like to joke. But the the, the scary thing is Cammie's only been fishing for a couple of years, and she usually catches the largest fish and uh, usually keeps me humble on the water. So it's great to have her around. I've seen the redfish video you guys made, so Nick's definitely not not smoozing and joking here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so your background as filmmakers, you guys, you know, I, I first thing I found you guys, um, I was just Googling shad fishing and Fletcher's Boathouse one day and came across your blog. And then I guess it was through TPFR, I found out you guys were going to shoot a movie. So how did you go from Hill Staffers and Ohio uh, transplants to starting to film and and shoot. I get you guys do weddings on the weekends also? We do. We we don't do any um film work for the weddings. We do some photography, but uh I don't know. I mean, to be honest, we're we're really unqualified to do what we do and um we just feel blessed to get to work with the people that we got to work with, uh to be in an area like we are and to see this thing come together has really been kind of a dream come true for us. And we worked with a guy named Jeremy Thaxton who I didn't really know much about him. He posted on TPFR once about catching stripers from a kayak that were pretty ridiculous photos, but he's, I don't know where he is. He's in like Dubai or who knows where right now, but he does shoots professionally. So you guys worked with him. Um, you want to talk a little bit about Jeremy's background in this? Speak, speaking for him since he's not here. <laughs> um, it was really great, you know, just being able to work with Jeremy uh, with his background and, um, just what we were able to learn from him. What kind of equipment do you guys bring with you? Did you have to buy anything new for the shoots? I know he had some, I guess those are called booms and the lighting, which is the only time I've ever actually been able to see in the Irish bar was when the lights were set up and he had some sort of track that he'd put the camera on and with a remote control and it would slide from left to right. Some crazy high tech stuff I've never seen before. Yeah, I, I mean, we had some, uh, with, with Jeremy's help and some of the equipment we had, we had a, a, a semi-decent setup with the electric dolly or slider like you were talking about, Rob. Um, you know, we had a jib, but we shot most of the film on DSLRs. Uh, we were shooting on Nikon cameras. And I didn't know that. you could. I've got a DSLR. So you can actually shoot video on a regular camera? Yeah, it's amazing. With, with the uh, cameras they have out now, you can get 1080p, you know, high resolution and... Uh, it's surprising what you can do. So let's talk about the background of the people in, in the movie. There was myself, there's Dan Davala, there's Trent Jones. We've also got a little bit of John Bellotta and then some state biologists. We have, um, why is he slipping my name? I've known the dude forever. 
John Odenkirk, the guy with the handlebar mustache and the forearms. You may have seen him on National Geographic. He did a Nile Perch show. And uh, really cool dude. He used to help me in college. His office was down the street. I used to go and use his books for writing my papers in college. So if you want to talk about the people that you were able to interview, and there was a lady at the USGS, and I sort of go to the USGS. I applied there for so many years, being a restonite and bio geek, but they never would hire me. So I'm still bitter with them years later, but I get a fish for a living, so I can't really complain. So let's talk about the uh, the characters in the film and how they, they worked into the storyline. Uh, yeah, you, you named him, Rob. I mean, uh, the local fishermen here, yourself included, Dan, John, Trent, awesome guys to work with. Um, you know, when you're trying to film fishing, you never really know what the conditions are going to be like and if the fish are going to cooperate. But I think what made it for us is um, any day on the water with you guys was a good time for us. Um, we learned a lot about fishing that we didn't know, which was awesome just because we love to fly fish ourselves. But um, just goofing around, uh, you know, editing this thing was a blast. We find ourselves quoting, quoting you guys probably without your knowledge on a daily basis. And we'll just laugh to ourselves because, uh, there's some classics for sure, both on and off camera. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to think of a striper again without calling it Mr. Pajama Pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, us, us neither. So for background, I guide in DC. You guys already know that Dan Davala is FFF Master Certified Casting Instructor. He's the fishing manager at Orvis in Arlington, Virginia. Trent Jones is the fishing manager at the Orvis store in Bethesda, Maryland. I have no idea what John does during the day. I know he lives in in uh, Georgetown, Washington, D.C., and he guides up on the Savage River. He runs a blog, and he's got housing up there, but he's also a Master Certified Casting Instructor. I think Trent is just Certified Casting Instructor, so they're all... Um, and Dan and John are just two rod geeks. I mean, you could talk, you can talk to Dan forever. When you go to the shop, you got to bring as much change as you can because you got to fill up that parking meter. You know, you're going to be there for the full like two hours. That, that's true. <laughs> I think one of the things that was amazing to, to us is, you know, Cammy and I, we both like to fish, but when we think about fishing, we think about fishing as in you're out to catch fish. And what's amazing is this group of guys, especially John and Dan, they will literally go out weekend after weekend and just cast. I mean, these guys are true masters of the art form. They will go out and spend hours on the water, not even have a fly on the end of their line. They will be casting with yarn, and they will all they will just be about technique. And I think that's incredible. I think it shows their true passion for it. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And that they're willing to share. I mean, John's out there every weekend at Fletcher's Boathouse giving casting lessons on the house, which is it's pretty good. That's part of you know what we were working on is is all the... You know, the guys in D.C. that are willing to share and educate fishing the local waters we have. Because for me, gas prices aren't a buck a gallon anymore. And I don't have the opportunity to drive to central Pennsylvania, the mountains to go trout fishing. I do everything locally in D.C. It's easier on the budget. And you'd be surprised. I mean, you see the snakehead in the movie and the stripers. There's big fish in the river. Yeah, that's true, Robin. I mean, you bring up the point. You know, we talked about the frustration that was kind of the, the inspiration for this movie. But... You're exactly right. I mean, you don't have to go far here in D.C. before you can get into some really incredible fish. 
And, um, you know, hopefully this, this film kind of opens some people's eyes up to that, if what they might have available to them. And so you mentioned some challenges. What other challenges were there to filming? Besides the fact that we wanted to fish the whole time that we were filming. <laughs> and the fact that fish do not like cameras. I learned that. Anthony Bourdain, if you guys watch No Reservations, he always has like a dead fish from the market because fish never bite on camera. And I learned like the day we were out at Blue Plains, how many, there was like eight or nine rods in the water probably. And I think we got one bite the entire day. Yeah, I mean, it was it was so ridiculous. It was almost... It, yeah, it was almost laughable. It was almost like it wasn't by chance. It, I mean, it was, I don't know, very improbable. We were fishing four-mile run right after that. Cammy and I were in the drift boat, casting, casting, getting nothing. I go back like two days later, catch like an eight-pound largemouth on a beadhead nymph. So <laughs> definitely trying to get that, you know, money shot on film was... Uh, Definitely. I think that was a challenge for us. It was, but like you said earlier, Rob, you know, part of this thing is really about the community. Um, the people like yourself and, and John and Dan and Trent and others that are willing to pour out in the community, make their services available, share their knowledge and, and create this amazing community of anglers and folks that want to protect the resource. Uh, it's, it's really incredible. Were there any companies that were helping you guys out trying to, you know, flip some of the the budget towards you guys or try to support you in any way big smile on cammy's face i know we, we definitely got some free gear from a certain company do you want to talk about their involvement we did you know orvis sponsored the film and they just blessed us so much by the amount of gear and just the, the cool gear that they sent us with from waiters to new rods and reels and um, then they also, you know, helped fund the, the film as well, but they were just, they were really, really great to work with. They were great to work with. I mean, you, they had no reason to believe in us or believe in the story other than, you know, Dan and Trent and some guys that are involved in their company were involved in the film, but, um, just amazing, amazing company. And, uh, we felt very fortunate, you know, they gave us a lot of creative rain um as well as the fly fishing film tour um you know they were good to work with as well but we really um in the end i think we got to, to tell a large part of the story that we wanted to tell which you don't always get to do in this business you know my budget i do get a little deal through orvis you know they've been a sponsor of the podcast myself but uh you know i gotta throw the orvis h2 rods the new like helios 2 which was i couldn't believe how light that eight weight was and i gotta fish a mirage reel i'm still fishing you know, rods from the '90s from Orvis and Real, so it was pretty cool to to go out in a brand new shiny pair of waders with a nice fleece and throw that lightweight rod. Yeah, those H2s were incredible. Um, we actually ran into some law enforcement during the filming of this uh, of this uh, wonderful film, and uh, even even the lead detective who herself is not a fly fisherman when she picked up the rod to make sure that it wasn't uh, a weapon of mass destruction she was she even commented how light it was so you know hats off to orvis they even com they convinced a non-fly fisherman uh to be impressed with their gear i'm assuming this has to do with gravelly point which is the base of the runway for national airport that's if you're from here it's national if you're not from here it's reagan national and dan if you don't know he's got you know a taliban style beard I guess he was walking around with a rod tube, which could be confused for a bazooka. Well, is that how this? Well, it was uh, several different pieces of events that happened. That we we had to park across the street because it was um, they hadn't changed their regulation yet on on letting you park in their lot before six a.m. or whatever it was, and <clears throat> so we the whole film crew and all 
the guys that are fishing had to run across this major highway. And so all of them had rod tubes. Allegedly. Allegedly they did this. We can yeah. either we can either confirm nor deny that this actually occurred. Right. Allegedly we had to run across. And allegedly we had rod tubes and camera gear and packs and one of us in our team may or may not have been wearing camouflage. <laughs> so, so, you know, from 4 to 6 a.m., uh, when we may or may not have been filming, uh, you know, people, I guess, were getting, were calling in about us because we looked suspicious. There's also, there's that camera, it's right on the water. So I figure those guys just sit back and eat turkey sandwiches all day and just watch us fish for stripers at gravelly that's got to be a pretty sweet job i guess that's how they saw you guys with that video camera well they they said that Somebody they had gotten it. some yeah. some calls but um by and large the the park police have been really good um really cooperative and you know they they were fine they didn't hassle us at all they asked us some questions and they were cool i mean we went back there after the fact we gave them a heads up when we were going to film and uh, they were really good to work with, so don't want to paint a negative picture, but it, it was a, a bit jarring to get uh, interrogated that early in the morning. Other than park police, were there any other troubleshooting and frustrations while filming? No, I think it was it was just a learning experience for us, I think, more than anything. You know, we were trying to figure, figure things out as we went, um, our first real film, and... Uh, you know, when you're, when you're, the saying goes, when you're chasing critters, you, you really can't predict what's going to happen. So, well, that and the fact that you have thousands of dollars of equipment next to water. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of critters, did you get to see the rats at the low light hours at Gravelly? We did. We just didn't ever get them on film. Yeah. They, they remained elusive. We wanted that rat shot, but did. yeah. Didn't I bring like a bag of Doritos or something one night to like try and chum them up? I'm trying to remember that night. I had some like stale food I was going to bring out and put on the wall. <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. We'll we'll include that in the DVD version. You'd think Peanut the Cat, those who have been listening to the podcast long enough know about Peanut. Peanut, if it's still around, he or she should be eating all those rats at Gravelly Point. Um, so how much time did you guys put into this? I know you've got nine to fives during the week. Was it a lot of late night hours, a lot of coffee, Red Bull, five-hour energies? Yeah, there there were some all nighters for sure. Um, a lot of nights and weekends, but you know, to the credit of our of our fishermen or the talent as we call it, um, you know, Rob, Dan, Trent, John, they were there at two and three in the morning with us, and um, they put in a ton of time on their own. And, you know, um, a lot of us weren't really getting much out of it in terms of payment. It was really a labor of love, and it was amazing to see everybody committed at that level. When did all the filming start? So how long did the whole process take? The film tour submission, I guess we should start from the, the filming, the idea, the brainstorm, to when you submitted the final for the F3T. Well, I mean, I don't know if you want the short or the long version. So the long, long version is uh, I started going to the film tour about five years ago. I, I saw, I think, one of the first ones out in Colorado. And it was kind of an evolution for me from this is really cool. I can't believe people do that till about last year going, wait a minute, I think we can do this. And then talking to guys like Rob and, and Dan and Trent and John and, and everybody saying, yeah, I think we can. So, um, you know, we started kind of solidifying that in the, in the spring, I'd say around the March time frame, And we, uh, we shot the, the shad day in was it April or May, I guess. And, uh, and then from there it was pretty steady filming. Um, I would say about August through November. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know what that adds up to be about three months, you know, not, not every day or every weekend, but either interviews or fishing or some version of it. Of course, there would have been more time filming. There was that one day we were out on Pohig Bay and the water was glass and the fish were biting everywhere. My wife calls. She's like, you gotta come home and take the toddler off my hands. I was like, no. Oh man. That night, I've definitely got to go back there at dusk. We got to redo that. There were some fish pulling the boat that night. Yeah, there was. How long did the editing take and what kind of, do you guys use Max? I'm assuming because PCs really aren't that user friendly for this kind of work. Yeah, we use Max a lot and we use Adobe Premiere for all the editing. Is that free software? It's not. Did Orvis or somebody help pay for that? <laughs> somebody helped pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said, this, this was ultimately a labor of love. So, you know, I don't know that we're definitely not making money. We, we might ultimately break even, but we saw it as, as a story we wanted to tell and, and really a great learning experience for us. And with the F3T, there's a certain time constraint for showing the movie. How much did you have to cut out? Was that sort of pretty painful to, uh, to cut out some of the, the best shots? I don't see my gar anywhere, but maybe that's because when I caught it, Jeremy wasn't filming and I dropped it in the boat and then it cut me and I screamed like a little girl. Is that, is that why I didn't make it in? We cut it because of the screaming. We thought small children might have been afraid. Could have been uh, scarring emotionally for them. That cut, I mean, that took like three weeks to heal on my hand. If you'd never caught a gar before, their scales are pretty damn sharp and they're slimy too. I was not expecting that fish to be slimy. Yeah, so editing this beast, uh, we had, I don't know how many days worth of footage, and literally hours and hours of it. Um, I think the first thing we submitted was about 30 minutes, which was pretty rough, and um, ultimately submitted a 12-minute cut to the F3T. And yeah, it, it was tough. You know, the, you kind of, people want to cut things, and some see value in stories, and others see value in certain areas. So you got to kind of balance the different perspectives, but... Um, ultimately I think we feel okay about the, the version that got in. Uh, have you guys heard any feedback? I'm hearing a lot of feedback from F3T shy wolf. Um, who are some other guys? That's just na- name one on, on Twitter. Who's been giving us good feedback and people are like, Hey, I saw that's, that's a snakehead guy. I met him at the, the knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fly Fishing Show at Somerset. So people are, are you know definitely hitting us up saying that you know, they're enjoyed it, and it's different. Everyone's doing like sipping midges and casting for bones, and we're doing fishing under overpasses. Which is definitely a little little different flavor in the movies. Yeah, I mean the the response has been really positive that we've heard. You know, it's obviously the the fish aren't going to be the biggest on camera, um, but you know, again, we we see the community and kind of the larger message of anytime you can crush it in, the, in your own backyard, it's it's really meaningful. So um, we feel like that that story got told, and we're really stoked to see people kind of take hold of it. Now, with the the snakehead scene we did, has Jeremy reported any? skin abnormalities from snorkeling in four mile run right by the sewage outflow and that, that high tide day. Nothing we know about. Yeah. Nothing he's admitted to. Right. That was a high tide day for sure. That snakehead and it sat in that freezer right there. Cause I got an open kitchen for like six months and I don't eat fish. So my wife's like, she just threw it out one day. 
I was gonna. It was like folded over. It had grit in it from when the guy filleted it in the parking lot. And she was like, "We're not eating that fish." She was pretty freaked out about it. That fillet uh, experience was that was pretty cold hearted. I mean, that went down right on on the ground at a parking lot. That was not like by some guy on a bike that his name is Kenyon. Ken Kenyon something. He's like I googled the guy. He's actually like a pretty big DC dude, even though he kind of looked like. Some random dude on like a, a ten speed from nineteen seventy four. He was so great though. I mean, just randomly biking by and just cut right open and right of you know cut right into the fish. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't even scrub in before he took the knife. I was I was pretty impressed. He was all about it. Yeah. I should have given him half of it. Yeah, we were expecting. I guess I wanted to eventually film it and put that in the tour of us eating it, but. I know that never, our schedules are all kind of wacky around here. We we do have Rob, but you don't know this, but we have a director's cut. It's about twenty minutes long, and we do have in that version your first snakehead catch <laughs> at the Tidal Basin, YouTube footage and all, and it is awesome. It is awesome. Do you have the footage? Of, we were filming the Metro one day, and the two times they were filming me walking into the Metro station, I tripped on. There was like this little concrete lip, and it was. Twice in a row, so I'm hoping that makes it to the bloopers. <laughs> yeah, that and also the um, the fly selection advice by by Mr. George Mason Mason also is uh, cut. Also, another thing is when you're filming in the metro. So apparently, you guys weren't down there in the station, but people that commit suicide, I mean, that happens all the time with trains. They actually set up tripods and will film themselves. So wh- yeah, so while we were filming, the security guy came down. He's like, "You can't have tripods down here. They will." They'll stop the train as soon as they come to the station because people jump in front of the trains. And then all, out of nowhere, the next train shows up. So Jeremy's filming. He's lying down on the ground in the Smithsonian. This dude steps out. He's got like a machine gun, a sidearm, this case on his leg, which is full of ammo and full like black fatigues. With He's like holding his earpiece and he's talking to somebody and looking at us. And we just turned around and went right up the escalator. Somebody had tipped him off that we were filming in there, which I guess Homeland Security, I don't know what, but yeah, they weren't too pleased. Yeah. I know it's illegal to film in the metro, but Well we've heard mixed we've heard mixed reviews on that. But I will say that the footage uh Rob you and Jeremy got was was money and we feel like it really added. So we uh again we applaud your dedication. What is next for you guys? A little bit of everything. Um, we're going to kind of ex- expand our circle a bit. We're going to do some filming in the Shenandoah National Park and Shenandoah Valley this year, uh, working with Brian and Colby Tro a bit out of the Mossy Creek Fly Shop. Some of you guys might know. They've got some incredible fishing going on over there. Uh, Colby's the one that does the podcast. Brian's the one that pretends to pass gas on us while recording per the Lancaster show. <laughs> But yeah, muskies, smallmouth, trout, I mean, you name it, they're, they're crushing it over there. So we're, we're happy to get to work with those guys a bit and, um, hopefully going to get Cammy on, on screen here a little bit, get her some FaceTime. That's right. There's not enough women fly fishing. Maybe work on getting some nice women's clothing out there for fly anglers. That's right. And I'm working on my new clothing line. Very cool. We're going to do some shad fishing, right? Absolutely. Shad or a must. Definitely, we're gonna go out for gar so we can film it this year. I won't drop it. I'll be prepared with like gloves, like chainmail gloves. Well, they put out a lot of slime. It's kind of like what I imagine snakehead are as well. Yeah, we had no idea what we were doing when we got that thing in the boat. And I, I immediately dropped it. It cut the bejesus out of me. And then those teeth are chomping everywhere. And there's three of us in the boat, which is, by the way, a Jacko Pierce song. All right, we could, we could, we'll put that as the intro. You guys don't know Jacko Pierce. You're too young. Um, but yeah, we had no idea what to do with that boat once it. Uh, 
once the fish got in that boat, because we had all the film crew gear and we had a cooler full of beer and who knows what else. But yeah, that was not fun having a giant snapping mouth, three foot long fish in the boat. I can imagine. Is there going to be like a full length feature of urban lines that people can get? And how'd you get the name urban lines and the artwork for it too, which is pretty cool. It's like an outline of DC with fly line going over it. That was, that was a cami special on that artwork. That was, I'm a graphic designer. So I, I did, I did the cover and all the artwork to go with the film. All I heard was blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> That's what that sounded like. I don't know about that. A good friend of ours, uh, Ladson, we'll give him a shout out. He's actually going to be filming with us this year. Uh, part of the two fisted heart crew. Um, he actually came up with the title. So we were shopping around ideas for a while. Uh, and that he came up with it in what, like 20 seconds. I know, I know. And it just kind of stuck. So big two fisted, um, where does that name come from with regards to the, the big two hearted ale you drank this evening? <laughs> that would be apropos. Uh, I don't know if we can claim credit, but going forward it should contribute to that name definitely um no we you know it's it's one of those things we felt like it was kind of divine we we felt like uh for us at least there's two of us so it's kind of dual meaning um but we also feel like a lot of this business a lot of life is really about heart and kind of what your intent what your motive is for doing things and um you know we try to go beyond the physical and uh and have um stories that matter and we hope that's uh consistent throughout all of our work my other question slipped my mind to fisted um you had some international uh, views i guess web hits for the uh, the website yeah I, my french is pretty poor but lamouching is that right mm-hmm, i think so i'm familiar with those guys or that dude or la home 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 h-o-m-e yeah i don't know one of those letters are silent i think i'm just not sure which one um but yeah no parlez vous francais <laughs> Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, some blogs have picked it up, and then the uh, the film tour this year is actually hitting some Canada, uh, some Canadian locations, and then also Belize. I think mm-hmm. um, kind of caused a nightmare with some of our music licenses, but that's that's another story. Where can we find you guys online? Social media: Instagram, Twitter, Vimeo, etc. Just Google Two Fisted Heart Productions. We are. Um, twofisitheartproductions.com we're on Facebook and um, not on Twitter what if somebody wants to book you for a wedding locally you can also find us you can google us um, Nick Cammy Swingle or nkswingle.com um, or just go to twofisitheartproductions and contact us through there you guys still working on the blog as well we are wide angle yeah we actually we, we started some shirts through wide angle, so we haven't we haven't posted anything to buy, but uh, Cami's graphic design skills have been going going crazy here this winter. So we'll see what pops out come spring and summer this year. But we hope that hope to uh, reinvigorate the blog a little bit. We've been too busy working, so getting some time on the water with Rob Snow White and others this spring will get get that going with some fish picks. All right, all right. Any last things you want to talk about before we uh, wrap this up and have a couple more cocktails? Um, I, I'll just say one last thing, but, you know, just how great it was to work with all you guys, and we really appreciate your dedication, and um, just the fact that you guys are so willing to share secret spots and secret flies and whatever that, that makes fishing in D.C. just makes it makes a difference. So it, it made our film better, and I think it makes 
all of us better as as people. Cam said it best. I'll leave it to her. Right. All right. All right. We're going to send this out to producer Jason to polish it up, add some music to it, and. Uh, that ends the fly fishing film tour interview with Two Fisted Heart Productions for Urban Lines. All right, all right. Let's do a little cheer. We got. Let's do the uh, the cognac here. Ah, that's good. By the way, you probably can't find this stuff in America. It's a Sante X A N T E. It's pear cognac. Fantastic. All right, Jason. It's all yours. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. It's fun to go with, like, just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun. Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.